Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Say before I, I get into all the craziness of my message this morning, I, I, I really do bounce off the walls when I speak. Um, I, uh, I, I've had the privilege of working in church now vocationally full-time for uh, 20, golly, 29 years. And... Um, I, I left church staff. This is just kind of a side testimony that has nothing to do with the message this morning. But I, I left full-time fo- uh, church staff about 16 years ago. And one of the reasons was it just got really frustrating to me just how programmed our church services were. It just felt like sometimes the Holy Spirit got left out of it. And um, this is my third service to do with you guys. And so I'm privy to know the order of service. And what just happened was not in the order of service. And um, it was just really cool. You know, to see you just, you just step in and go, I feel like God prompted me right now, so we're, gonna, we're just going to pause and do this. And so I really appreciate that, just on a personal level, you doing that. Um, okay, let's get back to it. Hey, I, I am so glad to be here with you guys this morning. I've uh, spent the whole weekend with you. I feel like we're coming around third and headed home right now. And uh, so I get to go crash in just a little bit. I'm literally physically exhausted after I'm done talking. I had a grandmother come up to me after the last service, and she said, I bet you sweated off five pounds. And I was like, I would not be surprised at all, you know. And they always put water up here. I'm thinking, you, don't think, you think I'm going to pause and drink water? I got too much to say, you know. So um, we started off Friday night with you guys, with the parents, and we we, um, we had a whole session on tech-savvy parenting. Yeah, you were there, right, with tech-savvy parenting as we talked about technology with our kids and, and screens and what a big issue technology is with them and all the traps they fall into and, and what do you do when your kids been cyber-bullied and how do you set healthy screen boundaries and time-of-day boundaries and how do you talk about issues of digital pornography and all those things. It's such a huge felt need amongst all of our lives in, a, in the church today. And <laughs> matter of fact, we, our, our ministry started a brand new thing about a year and a half ago called Screen Smarts. It's the only thing like it in the United States. It's a 52-week online technology course for parents where, and, and grandparents so that in seven minutes a week, every Monday morning at 8 a.m., you get an email from me that's going to lead you through a different issue of technology. And we actually created a group license, and your church has purchased a group license. So this is what, this is what I want you to do right now. There's going to be a screen up on the, a low go up on the screen here, and it's got a link in it, and what I want you to do is take out your phones right now, and you're going to go to screensmarts.org backslash colonial woods, right there. I'm actually giving you permission. Maybe your seventh grade daughter is looking at you like, Mom, you said don't ever get my phone out in church. Well, guess what? We're breaking all the rules right here, okay? So just get your phone out right now. Go to screensmarts.org backslash colonial woods. It's going to ask you for your, your name, your address, your phone number, your political affiliation, blood type, all that stuff. Not really. I just want your email. And then we will start sending you emails every Monday morning so your whole church can be learning the same information about how to set some biblical boundaries with your family when it comes to technology. So whenever you see a staff member sometime after the service today, please tell them thank you for um, the conference this weekend that we had an amazing time if you were there, as well as thank you for this gift to the whole church body so we can all be learning about technology boundaries together. And then yesterday morning, we spent time together with about 100 plus parents talking about our end game as parents and grandparents. What are you parenting toward? And I think so many of us, our default has become uh, sin modification or behavior management. You know, how can I help my kid to be a little bit less bad? You know, I encounter parents who will say things like, if I can just get my kid to graduate without being par- uh, drunk or getting arrested, then we're doing okay. And I'm thinking, wow, what a, that's, your, bound, that's your, your, your bar right there of excellence, you know? And so uh, when, when do we lose Jesus being the bar of what godly behavior is? And so we talked instead of, of trying to affect our kids' behavior, how do we partner with the Holy Spirit to transform our children and grandchildren's hearts? And this morning, we're going to add another, another piece to that puzzle and talk about three principles of how each one of us can leave a spiritual legacy in the lives of our kids. Um, you know, we, um, we're going to be looking at a story this morning from one of the forefathers of our faith. And what happens a lot of times whenever we come in church, if you're a professional Christian like me, you know what that is, right? You've been raised in church your whole life? Are you a professional Christian? Right. So what happens is we walk in church. Anybody else out there like this? 
Yeah, you walk in church and we, we, we hear someone's name from the Bible and we go, oh, I know this story. And then we, we click, we shut our brains off and we close our hearts because, matter of fact, I guarantee you, there's some of you out there that you like, you're trying to finish your pastor's messages for him, aren't you? Because you think you know where he's going because you've heard the story before. And so we, we kind of shut ourselves off from the Holy Spirit. So this morning, I'm going to ask us just to maybe keep our hearts open and awake and our, our minds alert to see if the Holy Spirit wants to show us something different that we haven't heard in a timeless message. So the story goes, God came to this man in his middle ages and said, I want you to go to this guy named Pharaoh. See, now you know who I'm talking about, right? So you're already doing the mental gymnastics thinking, am I going to listen the rest of the time or just start watching the, checking the sports scores? So he goes to this guy named Pharaoh and, and he says, let my people go nine times. And he kept saying, no, 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 times three. Until finally on the 10th time, he says, okay, you guys get on out of here. So then they get to the Red Sea and, and God parts the sea. They go across on dry land, but they don't worship God. They don't, they don't thank God because they've forgotten who God is, because they haven't been following him for the last generation after generation. And God says, okay, we're going to put a time out on this whole taking you to the promised land thing. And instead, I'm going to let you parents and grandparents die off. And for the next 40 years, we're going to wander around with the Lord. And, uh, and then your children and grandchildren can relearn this whole you trusting me and having faith in me thing. And this is what, what um, so now God comes to Moses, you knew this, right? God comes to Moses and says, I tell you what, your days are done. Your days are over. You get one last shot. After 40 years, you're going to have one last opportunity to stand in front of my people and give a message. I mean, I can't imagine what that had to be like for Moses, for God to say to him, you're done. This is your last week. You're over. You know, I, I mean, if you knew that this was your last week, what would you do with your time? I mean, some of you in this room are thinking, I'm just here on borrowed time as it is. Thank you very much, right? You know, but, but really, if you knew that this was your last week, what would you do with that time? I mean, I'm guessing you're not planning out your Black Friday shopping list in a couple of weeks. You're not, you're not going to put together your, your 2020 New Year's resolutions without even polling the audience. I know what we would all say. Because some of you are thinking, man, I just got to call my grandkids. There's just one more conversation I want to have. I, I, I got to get my son, my daughter to come over. There's one more thing I need to say to them because when our mortality is on the line, it all comes down to family. It doesn't matter if you're married or single in this room. We're all part of a family, yes? And God has been operating with us since the beginning of humankind in the context of family with Adam and Eve all the way to today, even in, in, the, in the start of the early church. God calls us the bride of Christ. Like It's all about family. And so now Moses is at the end, and he's got one last shot to stand up from the people because his days are done. You know, and I, 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 I don't like the idea of thinking that I don't know how many days I have on this earth. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a sobering thing to think I won't be here forever with my kids and maybe not see my grandkids. I don't know. You know, we were on a family vacation a few years ago, and, you know, I, I'm with you. We're empty nesters now, but we were on a family vacation about three years ago, and we're riding down the interstate, and my kids were doing what all good American kids do when they were in the, in the car with their parents, and that's that they had their headphones on, right? That's what you guys do, don't you? They had their headphones on. And so we're in the front seat of the minivan having what we thought was a private conversation. And so we're talking about, you know, uh, hey, babe, what do you think God has in store for us for the next half of our life? And where will we go? And what will we do? And we're just talking about this. And my daughter takes her headphones off and she goes, what do you mean next half? You're almost 50. How long do you think you're going to live? Man, you guys are awful. Like we clothe you, we feed you, we buy you gifts. And you just throw us under the bus. But she's right. We don't know how long we're going to be here. And, and so we just decided a long time ago in our family, my wife and I, that our answer is yes. God, whatever you ask of us, we just want to be yes. I want to be a yes dad. I want to be a dad that, I don't mean yes, I give my kids whatever their hearts desire. But I mean yes, that God, whatever, whatever money it takes, whatever time sacrifices, whatever opportunity sacrifices it entails, my answer is yes, if it means I get to be with my family. You know, and so we've said no to six-figure jobs and no to taking opportunities overseas with, with churches and schools and because we just want to be available while our kids were at home to say yes. And we told our kids when they graduated and went to college, don't come back to this house because we're leaving. You know, like, we've been with you for 20 years and now we're gone, you know. And, uh, and, and so we said no to all those years to other things so we had time to say yes to our kids. You know, so when, when my son says on a Thursday night, can we go to a movie? Yes, I would love to go to a movie with you. 
On the way home from ballet practice and my daughter wants to stop and get a smoothie and that means I get a 45-minute conversation with her, yes, I would love to have a smoothie with you. You know, a year and a half ago, we were getting ready for her to leave for college and, and she is, um, she's an a, a, a early-to-bed person. Like she puts her, when she was in high school, she would put herself to bed at 9.30 at night. One night, it was a Friday night, I went to her, it was like 9 o'clock and she's getting in bed. And I said, you're a horrible excuse for a teenager. You should be out causing mayhem and calling me at 1 a.m. in the morning or something. Just once. So I could like have a good story to tell, you know. But anyway, it was, um, it was just a couple of weeks before she was leaving for college. And I was in the kitchen kind of shutting down all the lights and everything. And it was about 11 o'clock at night. And all of a sudden I hear a voice behind me. And it was my daughter. And she goes, hey, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? Yes. And we sit down at the pub table in our kitchen just like this, and we start talking. Well, it wasn't we talking. It was her talking. And she just started talking. And I don't know how many of you guys have daughters out here, but dads with daughters, I mean, you can understand this. She's just talking. I mean, talking, talking. Every five minutes, it's another topic. I'm just, I'm just along for the ride trying to keep up. It goes on for about an hour and a half, and the whole time she's talking, I'm praying. And all I was praying was, God, would you just let her keep talking? I don't even care what she talks about. I just want to be in this with her in this moment because I know she's leaving. And I don't have these moments anymore. You know, I think sometimes we as parents and grandparents, we live such arrogant lives because we live as if we have all the time in the world. You know, and I, I am living, I'm with you guys in this now as empty nesters, that I'm living with the reality that my season of greatest influence is over. I mean, we'll always be parents. But we have a really short window to maximize the influence with our children and grandchildren. And so I implore you with whatever time God has given you just to say yes to your family. So now Moses, he stands in front of these people and he starts off his message in Deuteronomy 4. If you got your Bibles, you can open with me to Deuteronomy 6. And I'm going to show you a verse from Deuteronomy 4 where he starts off. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 4.9. He says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you don't forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children after them. Don't forget the things that your eyes have seen. Now remember, when these people left out of Egypt, the people he's talking to, when they left out of Egypt, they were little kids. And he tells them, don't forget what your eyes have seen over the last four decades as we've been wandering around the wilderness for God that you've got a God story now, and don't forget those God sightings. He says, hide them in your heart. And what he does through the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 is he takes them through sort of a top 10 hits of their time with God, as he helps them to remember the things that their eyes have seen. It's as if God is saying, hey, you remember, don't you? When you're like a seven-year-old girl, we thought we were going to die. And I stopped and I raised my staff and God, and I prayed and God split the sea because he was trying to teach us that he is our deliverer. Hey, you remember that time when you're like a nine-year-old boy and we didn't have food to eat? And I stopped and I prayed and God provided manna from heaven for us because he was trying to teach us that he is our provider. You remember that, don't you? Hey, remember that time when you were a little girl and we were lost and we didn't know the way to go? And I stopped and I prayed. You, do you see a pattern here, by the way? And I stopped and I prayed and all of a sudden God provided a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day because he was trying to teach us that he is our shepherd that guides our way. And he reminds them of story after story after story of their time with God. And the same message for them is true for us today. That God not just gave them a story, but he has given you a story as well. And he says, take these stories and teach them to your children and then to who? Now listen, this is, this is the part where you get to be charismatic and speak out loud in church, okay? So he said, teach them to your children and to who? and to your children after them. Now remember, they were little kids when they came out of Egypt. Then they grew up to become parents and grandparents. And he says, teach them to your children and your children after them. Moses is talking about five generations that are changed for eternity when you share your God story. Your story is the most powerful thing that you have at your Christian disposal. More than knowing so many Bible verses or attending Bible studies or going to Bible college, you don't have to know all that stuff, all of it's amazing stuff. But the most powerful thing that you have is your story. It's the one thing that no one can argue with. We could have economists come up here 
this afternoon and we could have a debate on different forms of economy. We could have scientists come up here and we could debate about creation versus evolution. We could argue about so many things, but the one thing no one can argue with is your story. It's as if like we go around the room and someone says, well, I'm just not sure about this whole God thing. And one of you says, oh no, I, I know he's real because I remember 12 years ago, the factory shut down and I lost my job and our home went into foreclosure and my wife and I just started bickering and fighting and we thought the whole world was spinning out of control. And then we just started praying. And then all of a sudden God showed up, renewed our marriage, gave me a new career. Our home is in the clear. I know that God is real. What is someone gonna say to that? Nuh-uh. It's your story, right? No one can argue with your story. Yeah, do you know who has more influence in this church than anyone else? And you probably don't even realize it. You, you've got a very gifted staff here. I've met so many of them. I've had so fun hanging out with your staff this weekend. I mean, they love kids and teenagers. It's awesome. You've got an incredibly talented, gifted, you know, orator leading you guys, shepherd leading you guys. But he does not have the most influence. You know who has the most influence? It's you guys out here in the room with gray hair. And the reason why you have the most influence is because you've been faithfully following him for decade after decade after decade. And you have got story after story after story that needs to be told. Your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they need to hear your story. Hey, this any grandmothers out there? Grandmothers out there? Hey, listen, this week, this is what I want you to do. I want you to call, your, if your grandkids nearby, call your grandkids and say, I'm picking you up after school, or I'm coming to your house, we're going to Panera and having some coffee, and I'm going to share some stories, Right? I mean, you've earned the right to be heard, haven't you? No one is saying no to grandmother, you know what I'm saying? Because you, you want a gift at Christmas time, you know what I mean? So you've earned the right to be heard. It may just be a pair of socks or underwear, but you're going to get something, all right? So you've earned the right to be heard and share those stories. Moses says, share them with your children and your, your children after them. And my dad, about 10 years ago, he was, he was retired and he became kind of a handyman, a fixer-upper in retirement, and he started bidding on houses to fix up little jobs. And he called me, and I was traveling full-time like this now, and he said, hey, I bid on this house. I'm going to paint it, and can you come help me? And I said, what kind of house is it? He said, it's about 3,000 square feet. And I was like, what are you doing? That's crazy. And he goes, can you come help me? And I'm thinking, I don't want to paint a 3,000 square foot house in the middle of the summer in Memphis. But, you know, it's my dad. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll take off a few days and come help you. And we spent about five days, what he called chasing the shade. You know, like you're trying to paint in the shade so it takes longer. And, um, and, but the whole time, I just started asking my dad questions that I'd never asked him before. Hey, tell me about your first date with mom. What was that like? What did you think when you met her? Why did you decide that you wanted to marry her? Did you ever think about leaving before? What, what did you think when I was born that day? Why did you decide to start going to church? Why did you give your life to Jesus when I was a teenager? And I just asked him for five days. And it wasn't like it was father and son. It was more like two men just sharing life together, just hearing all these stories I'd never heard before. And then seven years ago, I got a phone call from a 911 operator. And she said, you need to get home immediately. There's an emergency. And my wife said, where are you going? And I said, I'm pretty sure my dad's gone. You know, they don't tell you that on the phone. But it's just one of those Holy Spirit moments. He's kind of preparing you to walk into that kind of darkness. And halfway there, my mom calls and says, just meet us at the hospital. We're in the ambulance. We're almost there now. Just, just come straight to the hospital. And I walked in the hospital room, and I saw my dad's body laying there. His spirit was already gone with the Lord. And when I saw him laying there, my very first thought was this. There will be no more stories. The time for telling stories is gone. We, we've got a short window, guys. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And with the time that the Lord has given you, will you say yes and share the evidence of his work in your life so that you leave a legacy that lasts for generation for the next five generations to come? Well, then Moses gets into, that was just the introduction, by the way. Okay, so um, I hope you're hanging with me and you can wait for lunch. Moses, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what Moses says. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So there's three principles I see in this passage that each one of us can do today. Whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or a very short time, these are three things that all of us can do. And I know I'm speaking primarily to you parents and grandparents in the room, but I recognize there's a lot of teenagers in this room as well. And so I want you to dial in with me in this passage this morning, okay? Because these principles are really important for you as well. Because what's, what, what's happening in your life right now as a teenager is you're writing the first chapter of what your own faith story is. And see, the first chapter of a book is the most important chapter. It's where you get to meet the love interest. You know, you get to find out what the conflict's going to be. Did you know most people stop reading a book by page 50? This is a book from the, from the American Library Association. Most people will stop reading a book by the page, page 50 because they said the story is not compelling enough. And I'm telling you, teenager, if you've given your life to Jesus and he has started a faith story in you, you've got a compelling story. And so these principles apply to you this morning as well. And the first one is this, is we have to connect our heart to God's heart before we can lead our families. You know, we talk about in business world, speed of the leader, speed of the team, meaning that the the emotional, mental quotient of the leader will determine the health of the team, and certainly the true is in our families. But what happens is we get up in the mornings and we try to boom, hit hit the ground going, leading our families, but we're an empty vessel because we've given everything the day before. We wake up empty and we have to pause and connect our heart to God's heart first. You know, we, 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 uh, we get up and we try to lead out of our own emptiness, out of our own strength and abilities. And I'm telling you, moms, you understand this. Because at the end of the day, you sleep soundly. Like, because you've given everything. Like, you just go out like a rock. But we wake up the next day and the alarm clock goes off. What if tomorrow, when the alarm clock goes off, instead of the chaos beginning in the home, 10 minutes later, what if we just pause for 60 seconds? Just 60 seconds pause and say, God, before I get out of this bed, I just want to reconnect my heart to you right now. You know, there's a lot of things I got going on at work today, God, that are just really stressful on me. Would you just help me love people at work the way that you love them? God, I got, I got to go, this, this guy's got a, a locker right next to me at school, and he and I just really don't click, click very well. Will you just help me serve him the way that you serve me? God, I just want to be your hands, your feet, your eyes, wherever I go today. Just God, just help me to be used by you. And then we get out of bed. I wonder what would happen to us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, if we just connected our heart to God's heart each morning like this. Moses describes it this way. He says, love the God, Lord your God, with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your heart. Now let's just be honest. When Moses says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, does that really tell you anything? No, he's not telling me at all how to love God. I'm I'm like, just tell me exactly what, that's what we want in church, isn't it? Just tell me what to do, pastor. And Moses goes, okay, this is what I want you to do. Just go love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. So where's um, John John and Ronnie? You guys back there, John and Ronnie? Right there, Eisenhower. He looks like Eisenhower, doesn't he? Yeah, right right there. John and, and Ronnie, been married, what did you say, 60 years? What, 56 years? That's insane. Okay, I'm, I'm done. Um, John, John, you come on up here. You're going to finish the message because you obviously know way more than I do. Yes? So, uh, yeah. So John and Roddy have been married 56 years. 56 years ago, you stood in front of some preacher guy, right? And he said, do you love this woman? And you said, oh, with all my heart. He had no idea what he was saying. Do we agree? Right. But now, 56 years later, if I say, do you love this woman? You would say, yes, with all my heart. And hopefully, you know a little bit more about love, right? After 56 years. You're hoping so, Ronnie, right? After 56 years. You know, I mean, it's been a while, so, you know, he's he's doing something right. So, um, and the point is this. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you came in a couple of months ago, and you've been hearing pastor here share the gospel, and somewhere along the way, you decided, yes, I wanted Jesus to come and redeem me, and boom, you gave your life to him, and you became a new creation, so you get to love Jesus two months worth because that's all you understand who he is. Does that make sense? But some of you have been here, been following, following him for 40, 50 years. There's a whole different level of expectation for us because we know that much more about the love of God. And that's all Moses is trying to say. Is he's just saying, let's not put each other in a box. Let's not say that there's a certain three-step process to spiritual maturity. Just go love God and love other people with all you got. That's it. That's, that's, that's the gospel message, isn't it? is that Jesus loves us enough to redeem us so that we can be his hands and feet and love other people. So God just says, Moses says, just go love him to the full extent that you know what love is. The second principle is this. 
if we're going to leave a spiritual legacy, is we have to connect our children's heart, lead them to discover the heart of God. Once you connect your own heart to God, then you can lead your children and grandchildren. Then you can be a testimony to your friends at school and your sports teams and your after-school jobs, your coworkers at work, but not until our heart is connected to God's heart first. Moses describes it this way of how we connect our children's heart to the heart of God. He says, impress these truths upon your children. What truths? The truths that you have seen of God's work in your own life, the things that you know that you know that God is real, impress these truths upon your children. Meaning, share your story, share scripture with, with, with your children and grandchildren. He says that word impress in the Hebrew, it literally means to brand or to tattoo something. So, so by the way, teenager, there's your, there's your excuse, okay? You can go to your mom and say, hey, he said it. It's in the Bible right there, tattoos, all right? So but I'll leave that up to you and your discretion. So anyway, but literally it means to brand or to tattoo something. Now, now let's say that we go to a, a, a ranch nearby, and a, a rancher has got 100 new calves, and he's going to bring these calves in one at a time, and he heats up a branding iron, red hot, and he puts it on the backside of each one of those calves. What does that brand represent? Ownership. Exactly. It means from this day forward, when anyone sees that calf, they know who owns the calf. They know the calf's identity is from its owner. That now the calf, he, he determines where it's going to sleep, where it's going to eat, where it's going to roam, because he is the calf's identity. He's the owner. Does that make sense? Now, what's the point for us when it comes to our kids? He says, impress the truths of God upon our children until he becomes their identity. See, our children are being raised in a world where over 80% of all girls in America are going to go on a diet before the age of 11. That's insane. Why? Because they're believing a lie of who culture tells them what beauty is. Over 85% of all media in a teenage girl's life. That means every website you scroll through, every social media app that you look at, every advertisement in front of your eyes, every billboard that passes in front of you, over 85% of it tells our daughters that they are not tall enough, skinny enough, blonde enough, and buxom enough. Basically, our culture is telling our daughters the way that God made you is not good enough. My daughter, since the day that she was born, she's had a plaque over her bedroom door. She took it with her to college. She's had a plaque over a bedroom door that says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And every night when my wife would pray with my daughter at the end of the day, as she's walking out of the room, she would say, hey, sweetie, don't forget. And my daughter would say, I know, mom, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, let me tell you what that is. Let me just talk to you for a second, okay, since you're sitting right here. Not to pick on you, but really, and this applies for every teenage girl here. I want you guys to hear this. Do you know what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made? It means that when God, it literally means in the Hebrew, made with a sense of awe. What that means is that when God was knitting you in your mother's womb, all of heaven was standing there going, wow, she's going to be amazing. Wow, Father, you're putting part of yourself in her. And he did that for every one of our kids. So how dare them believe a lie that the way that God made them is not good enough. When the culture, you know, comes to our sons and says, hey, man, you got to buck up and be a man. To be a man, you need a football. You need a shotgun. You need a pickup truck. You need some porn. You need a woman. Which, by the way, I'm not against pickup trucks or hunting or anything, but none of those define your manhood. My son is all into nerdy board games and Dungeons and Dragons and all that kind of stuff, but he fully loves Jesus, he respects us, and he loves his sister. What more am I going to ask for? I mean, to me, he is just as much as a man as that, as that kid in football that throws 60-yard pass down the field because that does not make you a man. When the culture comes to our sons and says, hey, man, it's just pictures. It's just no big deal. Everybody looks at it. This is what it means. A guy is going to be a guy. All of a sudden, my son can say, no, 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 I don't need that. He and I have had so many conversations about this, and he's just said, Dad, I have chosen I don't want to be part of my life anymore because that is not what makes me, defines my manhood. That it requires us as moms and dads and grandparents to have these uncomfortable conversations sometimes to impress the truths of God upon them. And then he tells us, he says, take these truths Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. When does it sound like Moses is saying that we should be talking about the truths of God? All, all the time. Now listen, I don't think he means beat up our kids with the Bible. 
And I also don't think he means that every conversation is about Jesus. But when he says, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, he's talking about this idea of teachable moments. These moments that come out of nowhere and they don't last very long. They're completely unexpected, but they're moments that God gives us every single day with our children if we'll capture that moment. You know, you're riding down the interstate out here you got your 11-year-old son in the back seat or your 10-year-old boy in the back seat and there's some inappropriate billboard and you're thinking, oh Lord, please don't let him see that. And you look in the rearview mirror and he's craning his neck to get one last glance. And you know, either you can ignore it or you can have a conversation about what does it mean to take every thought captive? What, is, what does it mean to be careful what you gaze your eyes upon and what you set your heart upon, what your treasure is? You can have a conversation really quickly about what honor and respect between men and women. What does it mean to have idolatry in your life? You know, these conversations don't have to be long. When our kids were younger, we were homeschooling because we were trying to raise weirdos. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we homeschooled for 15 years, and my son, my, my wife works for a homeschool company, so we're all about homeschooling. But anyway, um, my, my kids, we were homeschooling, and we would go to the mall sometimes to play because they had furniture you could jump on. And, or at least that's what my ADHD self said that it was for. So I would take the kids to the mall, we'd jump on the furniture. And um, when we were at the mall sometimes, we had a code. And the code was this, if I ever said to my children, oh, I like your shoes today, then that was code that you're supposed to look down at your feet as you're walking through the mall. Again, we were raising weirdos, right? No, no, there was a reason for it. And it's because in our mall, there was a woman, I don't know if you've ever heard of her before, but there's a woman in our mall that has a store. Her name is Victoria, and she has lots of secrets. And uh, you, you've heard of her? Yeah. And she loves sharing her secrets with everyone. And um, so one day we're in our mall and I said to my son, oh, I like your shoes. And so he looks down at his feet so we could just avoid her little secrets. You know what I'm saying? And then we walk past her, her shop and we're going up the escalator. He's like 12 years old at the time. We're going up the escalator and there's this vinyl banner advertising this new makeup at her store. There was nothing inappropriate about the banner. It was just a woman's face and their store logo. And, and I said, Bailey, I want you to look at this. He looks over and I said, Bailey, do you see those eyes? He said, yes, sir. I said, do not trust those eyes. I said, those are deceiving eyes. Those are what dad would call bedroom eyes. And the only person that should look at you like that is your wife. And if any other woman looks at you like that, it's a trap and you need to run. I said, do you understand? And he said, yes, sir. And then we went and got ice cream. <laughs> Because that's what you do, Dad, right? After those awkward conversations. I mean, but the whole conversation was 45 seconds. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be awkward. I guarantee you, any dads out there today, if you're watching anything sports-related on the television this afternoon with one of your kids, there's going to be a teachable moment. Because every commercial is something we shouldn't be drinking or shouldn't be touching. You know what I'm saying? And so we can act like we ain't seeing it, or we can actually talk about it with our kids. Because if you don't talk about it, who will? Do you really think the culture is going to talk with them about it? Guys, we get one chance. We get one shot to do this. You know, I, I, I know I, earlier I said that you got a very gifted staff of very talented people who love your kids and love your teenagers. But hear me, it is not their job to disciple your children. It's their job to equip you to be the spiritual rock star of your family. For It's their job to equip and encourage you so that you can be the discipler of your kids. My son, when he was in, um, uh, uh, when he was in college, I'm not sure if I shared this story. I have to, I've already spoken seven times. It's hard to know which stories I've shared. Uh, when he was in college, he called me one night at like 1230 at night and said, um, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? I'm on, the, I'm on the phone with, you know, Zach, my roommate. And he had been telling me that Zach had been struggling with his salvation, the, 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 the security of his faith. And he had already shared all these Bible verses. And, and so Zach he said, Dad, I'm on the phone with Zach, and can we talk to you for a minute? And, and I don't know if you know the fear of being a college parent and your kid calling you at 1230 at night. And so I'm like, I'm sitting straight up in bed, and he says, Dad, we're on, I'm the, got you on speakerphone. And, and Zach and I have been talking for about an hour, and I've shared all the verses I know. And Zach said, is there anybody else that we can talk to? And I said, well, we can call my dad. So, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? And what he didn't know is I'm sitting in bed crying. Because what I'm thinking is, and I don't mean this arrogantly, what I'm thinking is he didn't call the youth pastor. He didn't call his small group leader. He didn't call his six-year-long basketball coach. 
He called his dad. And that does not happen by accident. That happens by year after year after opportunity and opportunity to say yes when God puts those teachable moments in front of you. And I promise today, you may feel like you haven't been doing it right right now, but you can start today, right now where you are, just to begin to say yes as a mom, yes as a dad, to what the Lord is calling you into with your kids. Well, the last principle is this, to wrap up. We must model the ways of God to our children. Model the ways of God to our children. It's one thing to speak truth into them. It's taken it to a whole nother level to say, watch what I do and live like I live. Moses describes it this way in the, in the last verse, verse 9. He says, take these truths and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and gates. Now I know there's a lot of symbolism there that doesn't make sense to us as 21st century people. And we don't have time today right now to go into all the the theological implications of this. So don't get hung up on this weirdness, okay? But what I do want you to see in this last verse are the words, tie them, write them, bind them. What figure of speech are those? Verbs. Some of you are going, I understood there would be no grammar in church today. Yeah, yeah. So these are all verbs. These are all actions. The point is this. Moses is telling them, parents, your children are watching your actions. It's one thing to speak. It's a whole other thing to say, hey, come and love your friends the way that I love Jesus because mom is living like Jesus. Hey, come and spend your money like dad because dad's spending his money like Jesus. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's the kind of parents and grandparents, that's the kind of teenagers you can be with your friends and say, hey, come and follow me because as best as I know how, I'm living my life for him, being a model for him of what a Christ-like life is like. So our kids, we would invite them, when our kids were little, we used to go to, they were three and five, we would go to the Union Rescue Mission. It's a homeless shelter for men in our community, and we began to serve meals on Thanksgiving week, on, when, on Tuesdays of Thanksgiving week. And every year, we'd go to Union Rescue Mission and serve meals. Well, now my kids are in college. When they came home for Thanksgiving break last year, they came in and said, hey, Dad, are, are we going to Union Rescue Mission this week? Because it's become part of their DNA, that this is what we were going to do as a family is we're gonna to serve together. We're gonna to sacrifice together. We're gonna to love together. We're gonna to do everything, all of these principles, we're, we're inviting them into mom and dad's spiritual journey. Because here's the reality, you're on a journey with Jesus, and you're on a journey with Jesus, and you're on a journey with Jesus, but you're all together on a journey with him. I, 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 I love this word picture to think that, you know, it doesn't tell me. It tells us in Scripture that at the end of the days, we're all, we're all going to go give the stand before judgment and give an account for our life. Yes? And it doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like. It just says there's going to be a judgment for all of us. I remember back when I, was, I grew up in church, right? I remember going to summer camp, and, and there was a guy that yelled a lot. Like, I don't, I don't think I, I yell. I just talk loud. Maybe like one of those yellers that makes you feel bad. And he said, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a VCR, and everyone's going to watch your life on the VCR. I am so glad VCRs are gone, you know? <laughs> Man. <sighs> so... So, and he was like, everyone's going to watch your life. And I'm thinking, I hope it's not that way. But I don't know what judgment's going to be like. But what if, what if instead you'd be standing before the Lord and you standing before the Lord and you standing before the Lord, what if it's your whole family standing there? And God looks down at your family and says, wow, well done. You did it well. You lived it just as I intended you to. What a testimony. And we get to do that when we invite our kids into our journey by modeling the ways of Jesus to them. I used to tell my kids when they were little that that dad doesn't provide for our family, that God provides, that God is the one that you can trust, that God is the one that you can depend on. And when when we we, we quit our, I quit my job working at a church as a teaching pastor 16 years ago and, uh, and started traveling and speaking and doing this. And for the first year, we had nothing. I mean, literally, we were living off our savings for a year. We, we felt led to quit the job at the church and had nothing lined up. We didn't know what we were going to do. And, and God just began to tell us, just be still and quiet, and I'll speak to you later. And it was a really just excruciating year. And, and first week of Christmas, and first week of December, we set our children down, who were three and five, and we said, guys, this Christmas is going to be a little bit different. You're still going to get gifts from Grandma and Grandpa, Mimi and Granddad, but there's not going to be a whole lot here at our house. I was like, does that make sense? Well, they're three and five. Well, they don't understand what dad is saying is it's not happening. And I'm sure you can appreciate the, the, the embarrassment of this. 
Because we've been trained as American parents, it's our responsibility to provide a bounty for our children on Christmas morning. And I'm saying to my kids, it's just not going to happen. We told no one about this conversation but a three-year-old and five-year-old. The next day was church. It was Lord Day. We went and worshiped together. We pulled home and then the driveway in our minivan a couple hours later, and there's a gigantic bag sitting on our front doorstep. And inside it was four, four gifts for my son and four for my daughter. And because God loves showing off, there was one for me and one for my wife. And I said to my kids, Santa Claus didn't do this. Mom and dad didn't do this. God did this because he's a good, good father that you can always trust. A few years later, I was speaking at um, five summer camps in a row across the south. And I know that you think you know what heat is up here in Michigan, but you were not raised in the armpit of Hades in Memphis. And, and the air conditioner broke on our family minivan the day before we're leaving. It was going to cost $2,200 to get it fixed, and we had $600 in the bank. And we just prayed, and we said, God, we've always lived debt-free. We could take a loan, but we're not going to. We're just going to get in this van. We're going to trust you and see what you do with our kids over the next five weeks in this hot van. And the last day of the very first week of camp, this man comes up to me and says, um, I've really enjoyed hearing you, your messages this week. And I was walking around outside having a quiet time with the Lord. And he led me to this vehicle outside. And we looked at the window and he goes, is that your minivan? And I said, well, yeah, it is. He said, this may sound crazy, but I think God wants you to have my van. And I said, that doesn't sound crazy at all. <laughs> I said, I think you clearly heard from the Holy Spirit. And he was, he was a bank vice president who buys a new car every 18 months, one of those types. And like, like literally, he had the keys and handed me the title, like leather seats, DVD player. I would never buy a vehicle like this. And I said to my kids, look what dad didn't do. Look what God did. Because he's a good, good father that you can trust. I mean, I, I'm literally, I could stand here for the next three hours and tell you story after story after story that has defined my children's lives because we said yes and I think every one of us, we need those defining moments, those moments where we just pause, pause long enough for God to show up and do something different in our families that was unexpected. Matter of fact, this morning, we're going we're gonna to end the service a little bit differently. I'm going to ask your, your uh, music pastor, worship pastor, just to come back up here for a minute and um, just to play some music. You can come by yourself. It doesn't matter. Just play some music for us. And we're going to respond a little bit differently this morning. Is that Okay. And it's going to require all of our participation. And I'm not saying this to sound super spiritual, but it really is. I'm asking all of us to participate. So this is what we're going to do. Are, 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 are they coming? Should I pick up a guitar? I don't, I don't know. And um, Okay, because I don't play music, so that'd be really, really bad. And um, so um, I'd I try it. So uh, anyway, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask if you are fifth grade and up, fifth grade through 12th grade, I'm going to ask you to come join me right down front here with your mom and dad. So um, if you are right now, if you're between 5th and 12th grade, I promise I'm not going to make you stand on one leg. We're not going to do the hokey pokey. It's not going to be nothing embarrassing. All right? 5th through 12th grade, if you could just come join me down front here with your parents. And what we're going to do is we're going to pause. We're going to pause in our church service for just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show up and do one of those kind of moments that could be potentially a defining moment for your family. Now, the rest of you, you guys can spread out. There's a lot of room right down front here. You can spread out down the aisle if you want to. Just you guys keep coming on down here. While they're coming, let me speak to the rest of you out there that are, that are, not, that are still seated. You look at me right here with your eyeballs. Look at me here. This is what I want for you guys to do, is I want you to pray. I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I want you to pray and not pray by yourself. If you're there with your spouse today, I want you to take them by the hand. When I tell you to go, I want you to start praying for what God's going to do right here in the next four minutes, okay? If you're here with a friend, if you're sitting by yourself, man, turn with somebody, grab somebody, and just start praying because I think God wants to do something. You guys just come on in and let the rest of these families come on down. You guys just move on in. I promise I won't spit too much. Just move on in and let these families come down because we want to pray for what God's going to do in this potential moment with these families. Can we do that? All right, so I'm, I'm done. Is there, if there is a teenager down here right now that doesn't have a parent with you, could you just kind of do like this? You don't have to raise your hand high, but just kind of do like this for me. I wanna make sure everyone has got somebody to pray with them. I've got, um, I've got a young lady down around this area over here. If you're a youth leader here in the church, a female youth leader, could you please come down here and just to pray with her? 
Anyone else over here doesn't have someone with you? Okay. All right, so now I'm done talking with you guys. So you know what your job is, right? You're going to pray. All right, so you guys right here, you teenagers, could you just bow your heads for a second? Let me talk to your parents for a second. Parents, could you just look at me right here? Moms, dads, look at me right here. Could we just agree together? You love that person standing next to you beyond your ability to communicate it. Do you ever find yourself sometimes just in awe? I mean, just watching them, thinking, I can't believe I get to spend life with this person. I mean, you'd give every dime in your bank account for them, wouldn't you? Because you love them beyond reason. Can we also agree that sometimes they drive you absolutely crazy? Yes. I mean, they will make you lose your hair. You know what I'm talking about. It's done. You're done, right? It's gone. And here, here's the deal. Mom, dad, I, I, all of our kids are going to make mistakes. And when they do, sometimes I think we respond the wrong way because we think they're making mistakes. It's going to embarrass you, bring shame on your family name. I honestly believe the majority of mistakes our teenagers make are purely unintentional because they're just trying to figure out how life works. They're trying to figure out relationships and they make mistakes. They're trying to figure out work ethic and school and they end up making mistakes. And I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give your teenager, give your child, are the two words, I understand. It doesn't mean that you excuse it. It's just saying, I'm in it with you. I get what you're going through. There's a, there, there's a principle in the Old Testament called a blessing. And what it is, is it was, a, it was a time, a moment in time in a 12 to 14 year old's life where the family would gather together in the family room and they would bring that eldest child in, that 12 to 14 year old in, and the whole family would just speak words of affirmation into him, just blessings into that man or woman. Then they would lay hands on them just to ask for God's blessing over them. And right now I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that as we all pray for you, just to lay your hand on your son, your daughter, and pray for God's blessing over them. Now don't pray, God, would you help my kid be more obedient? Instead, this is all I want your son and your daughter to hear, is I want them to hear you raising her name to the Father and telling so she can hear you tell her what an amazing thing that you, see, you think that she is. Just what a joy it is to be in life together. Can we just do that for maybe some of you guys this morning, these dads are thinking, moms are thinking, I've just never prayed out loud before. You know, I'm a guest here. I'm leaving in 20 minutes, so I really don't care. All right. I'm just asking you to do this for your kid's sake, to have this moment together. Can we do that? I promise you're not in this by yourself. We are all in this with you right now. So I'm going to be quiet and let your, let your hand on your kid and you guys pray for a moment. All right. Father, we thank you for these children, for these teenagers. God, we recognize that these young people standing down front here, they are the next generations of leaders in this church. God, they're the, they're the future teachers, the future deacons and elders and pastors. The next pastor could be right here. So Father, we just ask for your hand of protection over them, that your guidance, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be louder than all the other voices in their life. God, we pray that there would be a different thing happening in the middle school, the high schools here in this community, in the youth group here in this community, in this church, a different thing happening from this day forward because of what you're doing in this moment, because of these blessings that have been poured out upon them.
God, we just thank you as parents for this privilege that you've given us just to walk alongside them and just see the men, the women that they are becoming. God, I pray that as we, are, we, we all grow old and are dead and gone into in glory, that we leave it in the safe hands of this next generation because we, know, we live with the reality that your spirit is with them and that you're gonna abundantly bless them and prosper this place, not for their sake, but for the sake of your fame, Jesus. And it's for that fame we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for the privilege of being here with you all weekend. It has been a blessing and uh, God bless you guys. Hey folks, I know, I know it's time for us to be going, but I, about 25, 30 minutes ago. Holy smokes, are you serious? No, oh my no, gosh. No, 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 no. 25 or 30 minutes ago, while I was sitting there listening oh. to you, I, the Lord put on my heart that we're gonna do something before Brian goes. And uh, Steve, I want you to pop up here. And uh, I, I saw Tony, Tony's one of our leaders here. And John, can you beat up here, buddy? Dwight Eisenhower, would you please join us? Hey, come on down here, bro. I want you to lay hands on And uh, we're, as a congregation, this guy has poured himself out all weekend. And uh, we tend to feast, 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 feast. And it just struck me about 25, 30 minutes ago that we want to bless and pour into him. I want you as a congregation to stand Right where you're at, I want you just to lay hands. Can you just put your hand out? I want you to lay hands on me. This weekend, Lord, just caught this guy's heart. We're not going to be long and pronounced, but we just know this, that God, you're the God that you're able to pour in to an individual to be a conduit of your word and your grace into the lives of others. And that has, uh, that's been ours this weekend. So now, Lord, we ask that you would pour into him. Pray for his wife and he that in this season that this would be some of the greatest, sweetest days that they've had together as a husband and a wife. I pray, Father, for your, not just your provision, but your protection over their kids. That you would lead them far from temptation. And that, Lord, that you would just pour into his ministry in the days to come. And it's not about size, but I know all of us desire in ministry to be fruitful. So Lord, I pray for the fruitful harvest that you would just continue to anoint and pour. I pray you'd refresh him. I pray that later on today when he drives down to the airport that you would just affirm him at the deepest part of who he is, that he simply shared, he didn't share everything, but he shared what you wanted him to share. And I don't know how you do it, but somehow, Lord, you have a way of smiling into our lives and letting us know that. And so I pray against any temptations or any attacks of the evil one. But that you would bless into Brian's life and his family in the days to come. We thank you, Father. We pray this as a congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.